Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's What's going going on in sports today today and hear what Chris and Anshu say. The Deepest Thoughts podcast is brought to you by DeepestThoughts.com. Host Chris Horwadell and Anshu Khanna discuss today's biggest news from the world of sports and whatever else is on their minds. Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's going on in sports today and hear what Chris and Anshu say. Welcome to the Deepest Thoughts podcast, episode 8. I'm Chris Fordell, and Anshu Khanna is back with me. Anshu, how have things been? Pretty good. Happy New Year. How uh, How was your holiday slash end slash new year? <sighs> Happy New Year to you, you too, my friend, and to uh, all of our listeners out there. You know, it was, uh, we're old people now, so it's certainly not as exciting as it was at one point. You know, it was it's true. me, my girlfriend, and my dogs. How about you? Wow, all your dogs? Sadly, yes. Bros, let's not let's dogs. not go into yeah oh, exactly. <laughs> if only that were the case. Uh, how about you? How was your New Year's? Uh, it was good. It was more eventful than I would have expected or necessarily wanted, being <laughs> an old man, as you said. But uh, I was in scenic Denver, Colorado, so that was a uh, was a nice change of pace. Nice, beautiful town. And uh, I hope to be back soon for any people listening out there. Uh, you have a wonderful city. Feel free to stop by <laughs> stop by the Talbot Gates at the University of Colorado next season. You're always welcome, Anshukana. <laughs> you know who did not have a good New Year, my friend? That would be the Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, seamless transition. Uh, that's why I get paid the no bucks. Um, college football playoff schedule. We're talking about the... The Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl and the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. And by the way, I love the credibility <laughs> of something called the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Oh, man. Clemson, it's just spinning out of control. Yeah, it is. I'm looking forward to the Deepish Thoughts, Avocare, Road Care, Brian Shea from Game Informer Bowl next year. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> let's talk the, the Fiesta Bowl first. Clemson just annihilates the Ohio State Buckeyes 31 to nothing and this was I don't know that it was as close as 31 to nothing aren't you wow yeah it was I was shocked you know this this was a really tough game to guess I mean it's it's always hard when you're talking about two heavyweights from different conferences that have both you know tested themselves well both in and out of conference but man that was that was shocking especially with the experience it's really unprecedented in the Urban Meyer era at Ohio State to see them get smacked around like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's no other word to use other than shocking. And um, I think it has to give you some pause about Alabama's ability to just roll up all over Clemson, just given the fact that they were able to do that to Ohio State. Yeah, and what is, what's interesting to me is that, you know, this was without Deshaun Watson having a particularly good game, 23-36, 259, and, and two interceptions. And mm-hmm. this is not like he put on a clinic against you know what is a very good Ohio State secondary. He was he was mediocre. And there all of the all of the real top prospect underclassmen quarterbacks seem to be struggling mightily this mm-hmm. uh, this bowl season. Obviously Trubisky was terrible, which may even lead him to stay in school. Um, mm-hmm. Watson wasn't good. I thought Rudolph was good. Rudolph was good, but I think Rudolph's already said he's staying. Right. Right. 
So the run game was decent. Watson did score two rushing touchdowns and had 57 yards in total. But how did this happen? How how did Clemson beat Ohio State 31 to nothing? I you know it, and I wouldn't even say that Clemson has a great deal more team speed. It felt like they completely outclassed them. That they were just much more ready for that moment, which. Again, just very surprising from an Urban Meyer team. After the game, Urban basically intimated that um, that his some of his players weren't as prepared as the types of players he would want. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's a shot at Barrett by any means, but it it would seem that maybe some of the more ancillary guys didn't have the same uh, drive as maybe previous teams. But that's uh, yeah, I mean, it's. It's just shocking to see them get blown off the field like that, and and they just and I don't know if that's an indictment of the Big Ten or not. Um, I watched a lot of Big Ten this year. I find that hard to believe, mm. but you know, it, uh, it, it, I think it was just one of those scenarios where it snowballs on you. And I don't think in three games, if you play like a best of three series, that Clemson would blow them off the field like that every time. But no. the fact was that that scenario presented itself last week, and it was. I didn't really think Watson had that bad of a game, by the way. I thought that he he controlled it, but you're right. He didn't have, like, the the type of game you would expect him to have considering they won by such a large amount. Right, and does this lend any credence to uh, the bowl committee maybe making a mistake picking Ohio State over Penn State? While Penn State did lose to USC, they did so in maybe the most exciting bowl game that I've ever seen, and they put 48 points on the board, <laughs> 49 points on the board. Wow. Yeah, that that was stunning. That was one of the biggest surprises of the entire bowl season to me was Penn State looking so solid offensively against that team, uh, against that USC team that I thought would just really run all around them. Uh, that was it was pretty impressive. Good, good, uh, solid performance for James Franklin. But I, I mean, no, I don't think it lends credence. I, I thought that it was pretty well understood that Ohio State deserved the nod over Penn State going in. I mean, yes, they didn't win their division, they didn't win their conference, mm. but. This is a Penn State team that needed a massive comeback to beat Wisconsin. And, you know, I mean, if you start playing the transitive property game, it can go <laughs> down the line pretty quickly. So I think Ohio State deserved to be there. Like I said, I think that it was probably a little bit of a fluke that they got absolutely run like that by Clemson. But, you know, the facts are there. I, it's hard to picture Ohio State being a top-four team if there were new rankings this week, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't expect they're going to be a top four team in the uh, the end of season <laughs> rankings. No. How, how far do they tumble? Do they go? Is that seven or eight? You think? Yeah, yeah. I, it depends how much you think of that as a fluke, but considering it's at a neutral site and they got crushed like that, it's uh, and again they didn't win their division, they didn't win their conference. Mm-hmm. I would imagine they will be below Penn State. They could be close to Wisconsin. This is their second loss. They played one less game than a lot of teams. Probably potentially below USC even. Uh, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, and but I think what what's more interesting is what this means for them next year as far as preseason rankings, which do matter, as mm-hmm. we know, um, and how they rate against, say, Penn State or Michigan, um, who, uh, you know, they've had an exodus of talent. But it'll be interesting just to see where they rank in that hierarchy. I, I think everyone assumes it's the fate of Compley all the time that Ohio State's going to be number one in the conference, but, uh, I, you know, I don't know that that's going to be the case. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and especially when you do consider exactly what you just said, that Ohio State's going to lose a ton of talent, and teams like Penn State and, well, Michigan's losing a bit, but Penn State's really losing nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Ohio State, JT Barrett announces he's going to come back. I don't know if that's 
that's good or bad for a team that might just be ready to start fresh with Tate Martell next year. But they have yeah. lost Raekwon McMillan today. They've uh, the Malik Hooker is declared for the draft, and the other cornerback uh, Conley is de- declared from the draft. It seems Samuel like, will be gone. Yeah, it seems like Lattimore is a foregone conclusion that he's probably going to declare for the draft. So basically losing an entire secondary, which was one of the strengths of that defense. Sam Hubbard is coming back, and Nick Bose is there. They're, the defense is certainly going to be good, but they're losing a lot. Whereas, you know, Saquon Barkley looks like a Heisman Trophy contender next year, and that Penn State oh, yeah. team is just going to keep getting better and better as they get more comfortable in that offense. And, you know, Michigan under Harbaugh is certainly going to be another team to be reckoned with. The Big Ten is going to be outstanding again next year is what I would say. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I would expect some of the depth in the Big Ten to get better. Michigan State, you have to think, will be kind of back. Mm-hmm. Iowa, Iowa's Iowa, you know, they'll, they'll always be kind of around. And Purdue's going to be interesting with the with Brom coming in. I think that offense is going to be respectable, maybe not right away. But just looking at the depth of the conference, I think that it's very interesting. Um, I, I, but, you know, I, just circling back, I, I think that Ohio State getting destroyed like they did puts a little bit of a question mark and a damper on the entire conference. And I, I think mm-hmm. in general, the conference didn't play great and re- show itself out very well in the bowl season. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's switch over to the Huskies and a Crimson Tide game. This was a uh, technically the more competitive of the two games, although also not even kind of competitive. Washington goes up to a seven, nothing lead. And then Alabama scores the next 24 to finish the game. Once a Heisman Trophy candidate, Jake Browning looks pretty terrible against, you know, effectively a professional defense at Alabama. And you have guys like uh, like Bo Scarborough who just look like future oh. super-duper stars. Yeah, I mean, Scarborough popped out the womb looking like a future NFL player, I think. Yeah. I mean, I remember when he was... You know, when he was getting recruited, people were saying, you know, oh, my God, look at this mutant. His mm-hmm. arms are just already the size of, like, Mark Ingram's legs. And, <laughs> I mean, he's a different kind of beast. And uh, if he can if he can process that offense, he's going to be really something. And especially with Sarkeesian coming in, I think that he's in line for much more impressive days. Uh, you know, I actually thought it's hard to think of this game without thinking about the first five or ten minutes of it because I thought, Washington, they were up seven. I mm-hmm. believe they held U.S. or uh, sorry, they held uh, Alabama to a field goal, and then they were driving again. And John Ross, one of my favorite players in this draft, fumbles yeah. the ball away as they're driving, and that really seemed to just change everything, you know. And I, and it's hard to picture the whole scope of the game without immediately thinking about that play and how different of the game might have been. And I, I definitely don't think it was Alabama's best performance. I, you know, credit to the Huskies. I thought they, they were, uh, they they played well enough in, in certain aspects to keep this game competitive. I don't think that the score was indicative of how closely matched these teams are. But Alabama is just so much better that their floor is nearly the ceiling of every other team in the country. It's, it's pretty amazing to see, and I think that was that was the case kind of in this game. Where do you stand on Jalen Hurts? Because people are kind of all over the place with him. Yeah, I think it's definitely a sample size scenario, and I, I want to see what he does in Sarkeesian's offense. I, I'm impressed, but cautiously impressed, I would mm-hmm. say. You know, he's, he's still got a lot of ball to be played, and, um, you know, they'll be able to scheme against him in future years. And uh, But what he's done against the SEC and now Washington is very, very impressive. There's no doubt about it. I just don't know how that – if you're talking about the pros, I don't know how that translates yet. 
Well, you've alluded to this twice, so let's just go ahead and talk about it at this point. We have a national championship coming up. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide and, uh, and the Clemson Tigers. And Alabama has just decided to replace their offensive coordinator. Lane Kiffin gets fired and Steve Sarkeesian is brought in, effective immediately. Kiffin wants to stay with the team through the bowl game. He wants to be in the press box helping them win. And, you know, Nick Saban in Alabama just has no interest in that whatsoever. Is this uh, – and, and not only that, but Sarkeesian is going to call the plays. He's been there for like a week and a half. And he's going to be insane. calling the plays for the national championship game. Now, this is a coach with a pedigree – but this is not a coach who has been around this team, and this is not a coach who is presumably super familiar with this offense. You know, do you think this is a mistake? Is this just a, a testament to how much people loathe Lane Kiffin? Uh, what is what is the situation? Uh, I think it's definitely much more the latter than the former. Um, I I can't imagine how much Nick Saban must hate. Lane Kiffin, if he's willing to jeopardize a championship. I mean, it, like mm-hmm. knowing how unbelievably cutthroat and driven Nick Saban is and how he barely celebrates a championship before going back on the recruiting trail the next day or next few days, I, I just how mad must he be at Lane Kiffin and the way he's handled everything as the offensive coordinator or how optimistic is he about what Steve Sarkeesian has in mind? I mean, it's just – it's unprecedented, and it would make more sense with a with a program that, you know, is willing to take risks mm-hmm. and do things a little bit out of the ordinary. Uh, Alabama is just ruthlessly effective and efficient, and you know, and uh, disciplined to like an insane degree. And so, I, I, how much must Saban just despise? Lane Kiffin. That that's my takeaway from this whole thing. And you know, again, they must really think highly of Sark to to go ahead and have him install the plays for the geez, for the national championship with one week to go. I mean, that is yeah. that's really something. Yeah, Lane Kiffin. I mean, he's clearly hated by everyone who was around him. This is a guy. You know, after he was fired by the Raiders in two thousand eight, the. Uh, Former Raiders owner Al Davis went out and said that Kiffin had conned him and conned all of you uh, when he was fired. <laughs> when he was fired by USC in 2013, they left him behind at the airport. They didn't even take them take him home with them. This yeah. is this is a guy who inspires hatred, and I, I forget where I read it, but uh, I read a line that said Lane Kiffin's the only coach who could be fired from a job he'd already quit. Yeah, that sounds sounds absolutely right. I, you know, it, and I read this. Uh, Stuart Mandel did a long form for SI mm-hmm. the other day about Lane Kiffin and his new home at FAU, and I wonder if maybe that played a role in Saban firing him. Just you know, just another piece of the puzzle. Like you know, Saban likes to keep his assistants sort of under his thumb, and especially Kiffin. He was very incons- inconspicuous over the last few years, yeah. and um, I, I just. I think that he just comes off like the same little child, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, some of the things he was talking about, he was blaming his wife, his <laughs> wife being ex- extremely attractive for why people didn't like him. Sure. And he was talking about like, he was devolving into stories about how his wife had like, who took more money from him, Obama or Layla and all this crazy stuff. Like it just, he's, I, I read the whole thing and I couldn't, 
like him any less. And and I get he must be a really special offensive mind because yeah. there's no way Saban would have put up with all this for the last two years. There's just none. Yeah, I just so wish maybe it'll was... work at a small school. Yeah, I mean maybe so. He certainly made to be the sort of like totalitarian in charge of a college program. Right. Right. But then I just and then I wonder if he has any form of success there. And he has had success. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason why he got all these jobs. It's not just because he's the son of a legend. It's like he's, you know, he's done well. He was good at Tennessee, I thought. I thought that the offense was really coming along. He's a decent recruiter, you know. But <laughs> you just wonder if after one or two years he will get the hell out of there. The first good job that he gets because he seems oh, he still so immature to me. Yeah, no, he's no question he will. He would leave right now if a better job was open. And that's what I'm saying, like, to get to to the original question. I don't know that he'll ever get to be the totalitarian unless he's at a smaller school like, you know, like an FAU or wherever. I just don't necessarily see him being – I don't see any big program giving him the leash that he maybe needs to be whatever, optimize whatever talent he has. Yeah, although of all the people in the football landscape, Nick Saban is not one who can complain about somebody abandoning one job for another. (laughs) Very true. Very true. So this gets us to our national championship game. We have Alabama, we have Clemson. I feel like we've done this before. Uh, Is the outcome going to be any different this time? Um, I would say it's probably not going to be as close. I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I I don't, this Alabama team is really good. I, like I said, I think that their, their bottom 25% is better than, any team's top bottom 75%, you know, like every team's got to play a A minus or a game just to come close. And Alabama has got to play like a C minus D game. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I just don't, I don't see any way like the, the margin of error is so small to beat this. And especially this particular team and this particular Clemson team. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see how, I don't see any way that Clemson wins this game, honestly. I know they played really well, but if they play that exact same game, I don't think that they beat Alabama. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. And it's a shame that, you know, we're going to get left with this as our last taste of college football for this season. But you're right. This is probably not going to be a close game. This is not going to be competitive, and this is not going to be super fun to watch unless you're a fan of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Agree. That defense, where does this Alabama defense, maybe you need to see one more game, but where does this particular Alabama defensive unit rank to you when you compare, when you combine both the performance and the ability of all these guys and where they'll be drafted in the NFL? Like, where do they rank amongst, you know, I think of LSU back in a few years ago when they had however many, and then obviously the U back in the day. Is there is this defensive unit rank with those? Well, at this point, I think the only team you can compare a current Alabama defense to is every other Alabama defense over the last five years. This is just a team that, you know, they you see five guys go in the first round every year, and then they just replace them with five more guys who go in the first round the year after. It's, they yep. you know, this is the epitome of we don't rebuild, we reload. They're... The recruiting under Nick Saban has been unbelievable. This team has been successful like we haven't seen at the college level for a long time. This is very much a dynasty college football program at this point. And it is just, it's unfair that Deshaun Watson and Wayne Gallman and Mike Williams and those guys have to go up against what is tantamount to a professional defense to win the national championship. 
yeah, no, I agree. And it's funny, you say dynasty, but they do reload every year. I mean, they really don't have the same guys in place. I, there's obviously a little bit of carryover, but you think of last year's banner names and those guys all leaving. And now this year you've got the Tim Williams and, you know, and, and Jonathan uh, Allen Foster and Allen and all like, I mean, it's just, it's just ruthless the way that they're able to completely cycle out the players from last year and create a bunch of new ones this year. Every other program wants just one guy like that. They yeah. do that every year with five guys. It's unbelievable. No, that's absolutely true. Every, you know, every other team in college football would kill to have a player as good as Alabama's fourth safety. <laughs> it's seriously just, it's like, and I think that we're probably doing them a little bit of a disservice just by not appreciating it enough or talking about it enough yeah. because like there really isn't enough to say. You can't say enough good thing. I mean, we, we talk about Ohio State and Clemson and whatever. I mean, the winner is just the sacrificial lamb to me. I just, it, that's how good this defense is. And, I mean, the whole team, but really the defense is. And then that's, you know, that's Saban's – that's his pride and joy. That's what he created and runs. And, I mean, it's, it's just – it's unbelievable. And they're not going to lose much. I mean, obviously you're going to lose Allen and Foster and you know, t- potentially Tim Williams on defense but and uh, Marlon Humphrey. But that doesn't even mm-hmm. matter. On offense, I think all they're, all they're really going to lose is the, the tackle, Cam Robinson. Yeah, so, I think that's mainly – Ridley comes back, right? And, yeah. Uh, and obviously Hurts like and Scarborough are Scarborough back. and Hurts, yeah. And Scarborough's not even, like, starting really for them. I mean, he had a great <laughs> game, but he's not even the main guy. So it's just stupid, honestly. It's he's going to come back next year, and he'll be, you know, he'll be one of your eyes and front runners, probably, or Hurts or whoever. And and you know they'll they'll do what they do on defense, and it, it's just going to be more of the same. I want to talk about one thing about the one more thing about the USC Penn State game real quick before we move on, and that's Sam Darnold. What do you think of this guy as a prospect? Because every time I watch him, I come away just incredibly impressed. Yeah, he is. Uh, when I look at him, the first thing I think is just polish. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's just he's got that thing about him, like very, very little erratic play. It just doesn't make a lot of stupid mistakes. And you know, you can't say that for all the USC quarterbacks of recent vintage. And I think that even guys like Josh Rosen and Mason Rudolph and Jake Browning, you brought up earlier, mm-hmm. those guys who are presumptive top first round types, I. I think that Donald's more solid. I think that his floor is higher and and his ceiling's higher too, which is really a, a scary prospect. So I think that he's he's super interesting and um, I'm really excited to see him play for the next what he'll be eligible not next year but the year after. Right? He'll be eligible next year as a redshirt sophomore. Okay. Well there you go. I I'm not sure if he would leave, but that would be something. Yeah, how about how just how about a quarterback class that could potentially include uh, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, uh, Jake Browning. I like Josh Allen from Wyoming. Trubisky. Tra- I was, yeah, Trubisky, Lamar Jackson, uh, Mason Rudolph. Wow. You know, I don't have- know why Mason Rudolph said that he wasn't going pro, honestly, or Trubisky. I don't see why these guys aren't going. Well, I can, I can sort of well, – I, I guess we had this argument a couple of weeks ago whether or not what, – what constitutes the right time to go pro. Now, Trubisky probably should go pro just because he's the odds-on favorite to be a top two or three pick due to the sort of weak quarterback play in this class. But at the same time, 
you know, how much more does he benefit as a player down the line by being able to develop for another season in college? Because he's not ready. He's not close to ready. This is going to be no. a Jared Goff-esque situation if they try and put him, you know, whoever tries to put him in the lineup early next year, especially if it's the 49ers with that anemic offense. Yeah, and we, we I think we were talking about Deshaun Kaiser when we had this conversation. Yeah, there you are. It's very similar. Um, it's a very similar scenario. I mean, I know we all know that Kaiser hasn't scratched the surface of what he could be, and but you know, you also don't know what you can't be. I think that's the other mm-hmm. side of it. I, uh, some of it is like if you know you, whether you know or not what flaws you have, you might be exposed the next year. You know, and it, there's not. It's not that you're guaranteed of anything. You know, you you could easily forget about injuries too. Like just the fact that if Trubisky sucks next year, he's like a fifth round pick, right? Like, and yeah. I mean, and then of course, if he gets injured, it's a whole other thing. And I just like, I, and when you compare it to what's going on with those other guys, I, I know that they're not all going to pan out, but if some of them do, it's going to be a disaster for him. Yeah. You is, know, like I, I, is Matt I Barkley know. a worst case scenario parallel for him? Yeah. I think that's a great cop. I mean, I, Trubisky is obviously bigger, but I, but I, I mean, Barkley com- Barkley comes out that year. He's probably the third scenario. pick. He's probably yeah, the third I, pick I, behind Griffin I, and Luck. And you know, he obviously, he falls to the Eagles at the top of the fourth round. Uh, I think Liner, Matt Liner, it's another USC comparison that you could make. Yeah. Um, where he was dropped from one to eleven, not as huge of a drop, but you know, everyone was saying this guy's going number one. So. Yeah, it happens almost every year, and I get wanting to develop, but I can't remember a whole lot of quarterbacks who are going to be like top five or ten guys that then saw their stock shoot up to number one. Right. And maybe it's just bias based on what we're talking about, but it's uh, it's really hard for me to, to think of one. So uh, if I'm Trubisky, I, I, I'm out of there. I go. If I'm Kaiser, I'm out of there. Well, if Kaiser's I was going, yeah. Right, right. And Rudolph – I, and I think that Rudolph, with the, especially with his performance, I, I would roll the dice and go too. I, like I don't know what Rudolph is going to show next year that like we that we don't know. Yeah, but I mean, at this point, I can understand it for Rudolph because at this point, if he comes out, he's in a group of guys who he's maybe maybe a mid two, you know, a strong year at Oklahoma State next year, and I don't see any reason that a guy with those kind of physical tools can't be a top five pick. <clears throat> Okay, fair enough. If you think that, I I would think that because of the offense that he runs, there's a certain cap to his game that yeah. that I don't know that a team would necessarily say, "Oh, well, I'm really glad that we got that extra year of film on Rudolph." I mean, this is a guy who started as a true freshman, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, at least at the end of the year, tail end of the year, um, and I just yeah, I, I get what you're saying, obviously, and I think that it's it's good and you know worth it's it's good that they're coming back and trying to get better. And I'm sure that a lot of this too has to do with the advisory. Sure. Not just, it's not just them saying, Oh, like these are informed decisions. So, um, so you have to respect that, I suppose, but I don't see a scenario why Trubisky should come back. If, if he's supposed to go in the top half of the first round. I understand that from a him perspective, but you know, we'll see what happens. And obviously you just, uh, you would think that you would really want him out of there. So, or rather, you would really want him to stay because you're. This is potentially a very important thing for the decision of Malik Zaire, though. 
I'm sorry. What was that? I said you. Would, you. You broke as, up. As a Wisconsin fan, you would want him to stay because this is a very important move in the in the saga of Malik Zaire. Right. No, that's <laughs> that's absolutely right. I would. I selfishly, yes, I would like for him to stay. But you know, if he doesn't, I, I if I was him, I would go based on mm. what I know, which isn't probably nearly as much as he does as far as his own stock. But I, from what I've read, and you know, I I think that. I would go, and then if Zaire decides that that's the program, which I really don't understand why he would, yeah. then say North Carolina is the program to go to. But who knows? That's his his own reasoning. So, all right. That, yeah, we're going to talk more underclassmen next week. But there is one guy I want to talk about this week, and you have a you know very unique perspective on him. That's the youngest brother of uh, JJ and Derek Watt. TJ Watt declared for the draft. Outstanding pass rushing linebacker for the Wisconsin Badgers. Give me a give me a breakdown on TJ Watt. Uh, he really excelled this year. I mean, you always saw flashes of what he could be. Um, six. I mean, he is he's got the Watt gene and how big he is. He's much bigger mm-hmm. than his than the fullback brother Derek. He's he's um, and he's you know he can really get after the quarterback. He's a good bender for how tall he is. I think that he's. He's got a lot of explosion. He's got a real knack to get to the quarterback, and he does it in a variety of different ways. They had him drop into coverage at times because of a variety of injuries at inside linebacker. So, and he's played in really complex defenses with Dave Aranda um, and then Justin Wilcox this year for the Badgers. So I think that he checks almost all the boxes I would want out of you know a second-round outside linebacker type with a pretty high floor and a, you know, a legitimate Pro Bowl-type ceiling. Well, I look forward to breaking declared underclassmen down more with you next week. Just stumbled upon an interesting uh, interesting image from Pro Football Focus, and it's the most passing yards allowed by NFL teams by area, broken down by area of the field. And it's broken down, you know, left, center, right, and the the areas are behind the line of scrimmage, 0 to 9, 10 to 19, and 20 plus. Why I think this is interesting is because our teams are heavily represented on this, Mr. Kana. <laughs> oh, boy. So the Philadelphia Eagles have given up the most yards in the 20-plus range to the left and right side of the field. They've given up 518 passing yards to the left and 506 to the right. The Green Bay Packers lead the league in yards given up in the middle, both in the 10 to 19 and 20-plus range. Oof. Yeah, sounds right. The Packers' inside linebacking coverage has been atrocious for years. Uh, I, I'm not surprised by that number at all as far as the middle. I'm a little bit surprised about the deep stuff because mm-hmm. I think Haha Clinton Dix and Morgan Burnett are one of the best safety tandems in the league, honestly. And But they, you know, they've needed them in coverage. I mean, they've dropped Morgan Burnett down a ton to play nickel because of just a rash of injuries up front um, or at their corner positions. Uh, and they've also had to move Micah Hyde back from safety to corner. They've just, it's been a disaster, but that seems like a major hole. They played a lot of two man. So you'd expect that the deep middle would be covered. Um, that's, that is a huge indictment on the Dom Gabers defense, I would say, because those two safeties are good enough to cover that part of the field. Well, it certainly makes sense from my perspective as an Eagles fan, because in the middle of the field, we're fine. Those safeties are good. Jenkins and uh, McLeod, good football players. But absolute, yeah. absolute dreck on the outside, be it Jalen Mills or Laodis McKelvin or Nolan Carroll. I actually think Nolan Carroll is a fine mid-tier number two corner, 
but you know, being forced to play in a number one role, there's just not a legitimate cornerback on this team someday. And and that's so it's so strange to say that because I was so spoiled as an Eagles fan for so long with just consistently having a, you know an outstanding secondary, be it the Bobby Taylors and the Troy Vincents and uh, and Al Harris's or the the Lido Brown uh, Lido Shepherds and the Sheldon Browns. And yeah. It was yep. just, it's always been a strength of the defense, and now it's just we haven't had a cornerback who was even competent since I, I don't know. And that, that counts. I guess it's um, Asante Samuel was the last good cornerback we had. And that you know, <laughs> we've signed two major ones since then, Namdi Asamoah and uh, Byron Maxwell. Oh, uh, yeah. Dream but team. I dream the, you know, the, you know, Vince Young, it could still work out. That dream team could still work <laughs> out. I don't know. Speaking of, I think today was the you. It's funny because you you earlier said it was one of the best games you'd seen the USC Penn State game. I believe mm-hmm. today is the 13th anniversary of that. What I think is the greatest football game ever played, and that's the USC Texas Rose yeah. Bowl. Oh my! Oh my! Oh my! I've probably watched that game three times since it happened. I think that's probably a fair number. Oh man, unbelievable game! But I had to bring it up because you brought up Vince Young. No, that's uh, man, and that draft should have been so exciting because the draft tends to be, it tends to be the level of excitement tends to be dictated by the level of sort of iconic players who were involved in it. Yeah. And that year you had Matt Leiner and you had Vince Young and you had Reggie Bush and you had Mario Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Calvin Johnson? AJ Hawk. That, was Calvin Johnson that draft? No, that was, that was that happy. No, that was number one was Mario. Number two was Reggie Bush. Three mm-hmm. was um, was Vance. Four was DeBrickisha Ferguson. Or, and then five was Hawk. Six was Michael Huff, I want to say. Um, seven, not sure. Oh, one of those guys was Dante Whitner. I know that. Or Hitner. And <laughs> I think it's still Whitner. I think he was eight. Yeah. No, it was that was a fun draft because the Packers had the number five pick. I think I alluded to this a few weeks ago, but uh, I was at a late-season game against Detroit where Sam Congato set the record and mm-hmm. rushing for the Packers as a rookie, and uh, and they cost the Packers a shot at Reggie Bush and got them A.J. Hawk, which I was not super thrilled with at the time. Well, it, it worked out. <laughs> so it did. I, you're right. By the way, congratulations on having more rushing yards this year than Reggie Bush. Thank you. I, I said, that's ironically... The first thing I said to uh, to my girlfriend when I saw that stat, I said, because she always talks about wanting to play strong safety in the NFL. For whatever reason, she has a fixation on the strong safety position. And I told her that, you know, congratulations. This season, you had more rushing yards in the NFL than Reggie Bush did. And so did all of our <laughs> listeners, I, unless you actually played in the NFL this year. And sucked really bad. <laughs> and sucked very, very badly, yes. So yeah, the uh, the 2006 NFL draft was Mario Williams, Bush, Young, Ferguson, Hawk, Vernon Davis, Michael Huff, Dante Whitner, uh, Ernie Sims, Matt Leiner, Jay Cutler, Haloti Nada, Cam Wimbley, Brad Bunkley, Ty Hill, Jason Allen, Chad Greenway, uh, Carpenter, Cromartie, Tom Bahali, and you know it goes on from there. I mean, that, you just you were talking about iconic players, though. That is that's a lot of really fun college personalities oh, that yeah. year in college was amazing was that that was bush push was i probably the year before i would guess but you know a lot of a lot of really interesting fun players that usc team was just so interesting yeah that, um and yeah, yeah that game was unbelievable though yeah just 
it's one of those things, you know, it, it's tough to rewatch a game that's already happened for entertainment value. But just mm-hmm. go back and watch that game, and you will not turn it off until it is over. Yeah, especially, yeah, I mean, even just from the beginning of the end with the weird bush lateral and the mm-hmm. Glendale White and just <laughs> Glendale in general White. being Glendale White. And, uh, you know, Vince, Vince, that was peak Vince Young, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, if you didn't watch a lot of college football that year, I feel bad for you because Vince Young was just absolutely electric. And it's a shame that he never got his head on straight because he could have really been, you know, he really could have been like the Cam Newton before Cam Newton as far as he just is. He had a lot of good touch and he's just a really special player. And then came a rash of terrible quarterbacks who were supposed to be the next Vince Young. Yes. Mostly African-American. And well, it's funny how that happens. Guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable that Teddy Bridgewater is the next Vince Young. Uh, yeah. And that just, that's an incredibly stupid comparison. Yes. They're both black. After that, it ends. Right. Exactly. People are so afraid to make comparisons across racial lines. And I, I think that's interesting. You know, you know, who I, I agree. I, I guess that's actually not great. Yeah, 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 I was just gonna say I'm basically the Indian version of you at hosting. I would say I have made that comparison I, I get that for myself. Yeah, I've made that comparison yeah. for myself. I'm not shy about it. I know I'm <laughs> taking a leap here, but that's a. It actually says on your Twitter that the bio is Indian Chris Horvado. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it, that's a fact, and in fact, it's it's a picture of me next to you and. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those weird, you don't know the difference type picture casino games. Oh, absolutely. No question. Right. All right, so we don't have much time left. So we're not going to be able to get into the NFL playoffs. But uh, one thing I want to talk about to finish this up, found an article today of the top remaining MLB free agents on Chicano. And uh, I'd like to go okay. through those guys. And you tell me, you know, where does it make sense for him to wind up? You know, we don't have we don't have a ton of time, so we can't spend more than say a minute on each player. And we're going to start out. Obviously, the best player still in the market is uh, is Jose Batista. Mm-hmm. So, are you asking where I think they'll go, or where should the, where should he go, and why is he still in the market? We actually had an article up about this on the website. If uh, you're interested, you should check that out. But why do you think Batista is still in the market, and where should he go? Well, I. A major factor is just the comp pick associated with him because he yeah. extended the qualifying offer, and he's what is he thirty six? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, look, he can't basically can't play in the outfield, so that takes out half the teams in baseball. If you do put him in the outfield, he's a negative, and that takes away from him. So take that out of the equation. Now, teams drafting in the top ten don't lose a first round pick, uh, so you probably assume that it's got to be a top ten team. How many teams picking in the top 10 are going to want Jose Bautista? Sure. I mean, how many of them are close enough or willing to make the sacrifice? I personally would do it if if the White Sox happen to have a top 10 pick. Unfortunately, they do not. But this is the exact kind of guy I would want to pick up and then flip, you know, at midseason, assuming it's a one-year deal, which is I think that's what you can expect to get, um, possibly with an option for the second. But. I, uh, I I think it's a little confusing. I mean, I don't really think that it's it's a commentary on his lack of ability. Mm-hmm. It's just he's just so old and mm-hmm. he wants so much money. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see him wait it out till after the MLB draft when teams would all teams would be eligible to get him without losing that year's first round pick. Well, a guy who's not on the list would be my clear cut choice to sign and flip, and that's Tyson Ross. Apparently, Ross is in serious negotiations with the Rangers right now. 
No, let's let's go to him number two. Why why is he still available? Where's he go? Well, I think that some of that is just rehabbing, and I think that some of the teams probably wanted to see how he's progressing. There's no real rush for anybody. I mean, it benefits him, and it benefits the team to wait it out. He probably gets more money as time goes on. But I agree with you, and we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Tyson Ross is probably the best buy low, quote-unquote. But, I, I mean, with so many teams getting involved on him, I it's tough for me to picture a scenario where he's not able to get at least a decent – chunk of change for multiple years um and that he is a risk no matter what happens he's still a risk so uh but he'll he'll ultimately land somewhere i don't think that it's a case of like teams not wanting him or anything it's just it benefits everyone to wait with him how about mark trumbo trumbo is an interesting one i think that he probably wishes he had taken that initial offer from Baltimore, which allegedly is off the table yeah um but I still think that his market's pretty robust. I mean, part of it, too, is that there are a lot of bats. The bat market's been so slow. And so, you know, for, for Trumbo, it doesn't really benefit him to, to sign a deal unless it's some otherworldly one like the one Baltimore originally offered him mm-hmm. because he's got so many suitors and there are so many other guys out there. There are, the you know, Chris Carters and others. And so is those. I don't know if they're waiting for Trumbo to sign for those dominoes to fall or the other way around, but like Mike Napoli's out there. And so I think that, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens, but I think that he'll ultimately get a very solid deal, and I'm not super shocked that he's still out there, given that he declined that offer from Baltimore. All right, two more guys in about 90 seconds, aren't you? Uh, let's stay at Baltimore, and let's go Matt Weeders. Uh, yeah, Weeders is an interesting one. I mean, I, he's a pretty solid defensive player, good hitter, obviously has a pedigree. He is 31, I want to say, um, and he, I think he's – looking for a lot of money, but he's by far the best catcher available. And so um, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me why he wouldn't be there. I think you'd want him in your organization early, and especially a team with a lot of young pitchers that need a good pitch framer. I think that Weeders makes a lot of sense. It just depends on how many years of control he's looking for. And uh, a guy who had a 3.83 ERA last year as a starting pitcher should not still be available at this point in free agency. That's Jason Hamill. Yeah, but if you look at his first, second half splits, I think you'll notice a pretty stark change. And, um, you know, Jason Hamill is Jason Hamill. Everyone kind of knows what they're getting with him. And, um, you know, he'll sign. You're right. He'll land. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't already. He's a perfect pickup and trade guy if he signs for one year. But I think he can expect more than that, and that's probably why he hasn't been picked up yet. All right. Well, that was the show for this week. Uh, Anshukana, thank you for taking the time, and uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you back here next week.